Well, good morning, church family. Well, like Pastor Rob said, my name is Brad, and in case we haven't had the opportunity to meet, you will very rarely see me without my better half and my beautiful wife, Imani. And so that's her. Maybe you've seen her uh, leading worship a couple of weeks ago, and that little nugget right there, not really that little. uh, His name is Micah, and that's our son. He's a little over four months right now. And kind of the running joke, kind of how we describe him, he's this, this little guy's a Ford F-150. Uh, the reason for that is because this guy's built for it tough, okay? This guy is, uh, is not starved. And so hopefully you get to uh, have a chance to meet us and we get to have a chance to meet you and you get to uh, see that for yourself. Um, so this month, throughout the month of December, we've been just going through all the emotions surrounding Christmas. And one of the traditions... Uh, that we have in our family that really came from my family, but we're carrying on, is that we do stocking stuffers. So we don't just like hang stockings up on the wall, but we actually fill them with a lot of little knickknacks. And the rule is that no one can open their gifts until everyone is present. But the stockings, those are fair game. Eh? You can just come down right when you wake up, you, you can open up your stocking. And it could be anything from a pack of gum to a tire pressure gauge. I mean, you know, a lot of fun little knickknacks that, that can be in there. And it's just something that is just fun for us that that brings us a little bit of joy. And so maybe for you, you have a tradition like that, that just sparks joy for you, for your family, that you get to look forward to every year. Uh, Maybe for you, you have traditions that you've done in the past, but this year it just, there's not joy there. There, There's not the happiness or, or the experience that you've felt in the past. Or maybe this year, this is your first year without a loved one, and you have to wrestle through the hard emotions that come with that. I know for our family, I I currently work at Amazon. You're welcome for all the packages, by the way. Uh, I currently work at Amazon, and so with that, and during the Christmas season, it's just a lot of overtime. On top of that, on almost every day off that I've had, I've been interviewing for this role, which is such a blessing and an an honor that I, I, I get to interview for it. But it does mean that on the days that I would like to be resting and I would like to be more present with my family in this season, especially with it being his first Christmas, I'm now absent. And so in a season that I want to lean in, in a season that we want to connect more, I'm just naturally not able to. And so there's just so much emotion that can come around this season. But today we're going to be talking about joy. And what I hope that, if nothing else, you leave with here today is that joy can be a choice, and joy happens when you shift your confidence, when you shift your focus away from the life going on around you, and you shift it towards Christ and for what he has done for you and what he has done for all of us. So today we're going to be looking at not only Christ's birth, but just really the events surrounding Christ's birth. And Jesus' arrival, in case you weren't aware, it was a really, really big deal. And so we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 12, and it reads, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now him being born in the town of David, there's some significance there. 
Firstly, because the prophet Micah, 700 years before Christ was even born, prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which is David's hometown. Not only that, but there's multiple covenants that go into Christ's birth and the blessing that Christ brings with his birth, life, death, and resurrection. And the first one is the Abrahamic covenant. Next, we have the Davidic covenant. And thirdly, he brings the blessing of the new covenant. Now, in case covenant is an unfamiliar word to you, you might not know what it means. Basically, a covenant is a promise. And there's two different kinds of covenants. There's a conditional covenant between two parties, and it's reliant on both parties to uphold their end. A conditional covenant is, I will do this as long as you promise to do your part as well. That's a conditional covenant. Now, an unconditional covenant we can view almost as a gift, where it's, you don't have to do anything, and I will still provide this. No matter what you do, I will still uphold my end of this covenant. And so starting with the Abrahamic covenant, we, we see this covenant in Genesis 12, verse 1, and it starts with the promise of land and a very specific amount of land. In verse 2, God also promises Abraham that his descendants would rival the number of sands on the earth. And not only the number, but that nations and kings would come from his descendants as well. In verse 3, he also promises Abraham that there would be a blessing and a redemption of his people. And this is fulfilled in the new covenant that we'll talk about in just a minute. Now, the Davidic covenant we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 13 and 16, and this reads, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, this is significant because it, it reaffirms the promise that God made with Abraham, and it's part of the fulfillment in it because David was the second king of Israel. And so when, when God promises Abraham that kings and nations would come from his descendants, this is part of the fulfillment of that covenant. Not only that, but there's four key words that I want to zone in on right here. Number one is house. House is in reference to a family dynasty that the kingship wouldn't just end with David, but there would be a dynasty in the family lineage of David. Not only that, but kingdom. And kingdom is referred to the people being governed, the Israelite people. Thirdly, we have the throne, which is a place of authority. The person sitting on the throne has authority to govern the people. And lastly, forever, which is eternal and unconditional. Now, the third covenant is the new covenant, and this is found in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 and 33, and this reads, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. So Jesus' birth brought in 
and fulfilled the laws of Moses that were written on stone. Yet the new covenant, the laws are written in our hearts and minds. The new covenant is also only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And we see part of this in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And it reads, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, at, at that time, the Jewish people had a way of living. And it was, I need to work for grace. I need to work for redemption. I need to work for salvation. I need to work for the promise of God. And through that is when they sinned. I don't know if anyone has read the Old Testament, but I, if there was a time machine, right, and I was transplanted into the Old Testament, I mean, week one, I'm stoned to death, okay? I mean, the things that, that they had to uphold as part of their laws were just wild. And when they did mess up, they had to do a sacrifice. Yet Christ comes to fulfill that sacrifice with his perfect life and his perfect blood. Now, Mary and Joseph would have known this because they grew up in this society. They grew up expecting a Savior. They grew up hoping, praying for a Savior. That was the Israelite tradition, and that was their entire culture for hundreds of years was looking forward to the Messiah. And so when the angel came to Mary and came to Joseph and said, you will be pregnant with the Savior. There's these expectations that I think all of us might have around what that would look like. You know, there'd be a, there would be a crowd there. They would celebrate. A couple of fireworks, not too many. Don't want to be boastful, but we do want to celebrate. So, that, you know, there's going to be this big celebration. Yet, at that time, the Caesar at that time issued a census. And, and basically what that meant at that time was everyone had to go to their own hometown where they were born, and they had to comply with the census. And so if you can imagine, I had to watch my wife give birth, and that was enough for me. Um, thank God I don't have to go through that. But if you can imagine that Mary being heavily pregnant, traveling to Bethlehem with these expectations behind what the birth of the Savior would mean, yet when they get there, they don't even have a room. Yet when they get there, there's a crowd, but it has nothing to do with them. There's a crowd because everyone in that area was going to Bethlehem because that's where their hometown was. Not only that, but there was Roman soldiers there to fulfill and to carry out the census. And so they were lost in all this hustle and bustle of everything going out. And not only that, not only was the birth not what they expected, but then they expected the life of Christ to be this savior, to be this conqueror that they had imagined to save the Israelite people. And then throughout the life of Christ, they watched their baby boy be persecuted time and time and time again. And ultimately, they watched him be mocked, ridiculed, spat on, whipped, and ultimately crucified. And you can almost feel their emotion of, God, this is not what I expected at all when you said I was going to give birth to the Savior. Yet, they can shift their mind from that to what Christ brought. That Christ brought hope. And we read in Revelation 21, verse 4 and 5, Starting at four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So if you're sitting there and thinking, all of these covenants, that's cool information to have, but that doesn't mean something for my joy. Here's why it should. Because we can look back from the beginning of God's word in Genesis and look back and watch all the way through generation after generation after generation and look at God's trustworthiness. That when he makes a promise, when he makes a covenant, that he is going to uphold it because he has for generations before us. And so if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through just a stressful season, I would encourage you to shift your joy, to shift your focus, to shift your confidence from your circumstance and to Christ. And that's what we've really had to do in this season where it's just, you know, it's a lot. Working overtime and not being able to be present with our family and, and I'm, I'm sure there's other circumstances in this room that are much, much harder. Yet, as we've heard from Austin and from Rob, that joy can be a choice. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song called Joy to the World. And in, in, in the first part of this song, I would encourage you to just take a moment and offer that emotion up to the Lord. In week, in week one, Rob had a great message about how Christ handled his emotion. When, when he was looking at what was going to happen on the cross, you can imagine he felt a certain way. And so he gathered his closest disciples together and said, I, I, just, I just want you to be present with me because I'm going through it right now. And then he prays to his heavenly Father and he says, God, if there is any, any way that I do not have to do this, please Please make that happen. Please make it so. Yet he ends that prayer with, but not my will, your will be done. Because he knew what his death would bring. He knew what his crucifixion would bring. And so if you're going through a hard time right now, it's okay. I would encourage you to take the first part of this song and again, offer that emotion up to the Lord And then for the second half to just sit back and go, God, regardless, you are so good. God, regardless, I can see not only through the Bible, generation after generation after generation, your trustworthiness so that I can look forward to eternity and trust that I get to see you in eternity. But I've also seen you work and work through unbelievably broken people. And if you can work through their testimony and shine in their testimony, then you can shine in mine. And so that's the importance of us having joy. For nothing else, that other people are watching you and other people are watching us. And that there might be someone that you meet that is going through a similar circumstance as you, but they don't have the hope and they don't have the joy that you might have in Christ. And so if we can shift our focus from what's going on to our Heavenly Father and to Christ and what he has done, now we can unlock the joy that only comes from him and other people can say, what the heck is that?
you're going through the same thing I am, yet you're smiling. And now that opens up a conversation. So as we, as we bring the band up to sing Joy to the World, the author of Joy to the World is Isaac Watts, who, and he is often heralded as the father of the English hymnody. And while the hymn is often featured during the Christmas season, it was originally written to be sung year-round as a metrical version of Psalm 98, verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. From the first time this hymn was published in 1709 to our churches today, it's a powerful call to repeat the sounding joy. The joyful theme we hear in this hymn is a twofold, and it's joy that looks back. It's joy that looks back not only at the Old Testament and all the promises that God made and fulfilled, but also looks back to what Christ did for us. That in the midst of our circumstance, we can still rejoice. We can still look at, at what Christ did for us and say, God, you are still good. And I look forward to the day that I get to meet you. Let's sing together.